But I have to confess, I'm not a very patient person sometimes. I'm not very good at waiting. In some scenarios, it's okay. You know, I'm happy to work at something, even if I know it's going to be slow and methodical. If I have to find an answer to a solution, I, I will get there. But the problem is, I'm not patient when I know where I'm going. When I know what the outcome is, I just want to get there straight away. If I know that, for example, I, I, you know, in the past where I've had a, a job move or something like that, I even remember leaving school, when you get to that last phase, when you know you're going, you really might as well be gone, or at least I am, because I am quite impatient. Just the other week, um, I was in my car, uh, driving at the speed limit of 60 miles per hour, and I approached a car that was driving much more slowly than I was. Let me paint you a picture. It was a sunny day. There wasn't frost or ice on the ground. There wasn't a drop of precipitation in the air or on the ground. We were going downhill with a following wind and had the doors open. Okay, I'm exaggerating at that point, but basically driving conditions were perfect. 20 miles an hour. 20! It was like being stuck behind a tractor, and I have a lot of experience with that where I live. A string of traffic coming the other way, I couldn't get past. I was eager to get to where I was going, but I was being forced to wait. But waiting is part of life, isn't it? You know, we have to wait behind slow movers on the road. We have to wait in queue at the shop or at the bank. Often, though, the, the kind of waiting that we do is much more serious than that. Maybe you're here this evening and you're waiting on a hospital appointment or on test results and you're anxious about that. You know, even if the results are going to be bad, you, you just like to know what you're facing. Better the devil you know, isn't that what they say? We wait on results of exams at school or college or university. Maybe you're here today and you don't know what God is going to do with your life and you maybe have to make a decision about a course to apply for or a, a dissertation or something like that. Or maybe you're a bit further on in life and unhappy in your job or even out of work, wondering what God wants you to do. Maybe some years ago in Ravenhill, as Peter was sharing, people were like that. We, we wanted to see revival. We wanted to see God at work, but it wasn't just a quick answer. You might be deep in prayer, trying to seek God's will, but just not getting anywhere. As you think about those things that we are forced to wait for, you might just say, well, <laughs> wouldn't it just be easier if God just sorted it all out? I don't know how you envisage that exactly, maybe a booming voice from the sky telling you what career move to make, or you might like God to speed up the process at the hospital as you wait on a date for surgery or whatever it is. But God does speak to us as we wait. His word is full of people, just like us, who weren't very patient and aren't always prepared to wait on him, and yet we do see God dealing graciously with his impatient people time and time again. And he speaks to us today through his word in our waiting. And as Paddy read for us just a few moments ago in James 5 and verse 7, be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. Now, James isn't talking directly about being patient for the Lord's coming, you know, kind of just sitting here, twiddling our thumbs, waiting for Jesus. There's an element of that, but he doesn't say, be patient for the Lord's coming. He says, be patient 
until the Lord's coming. James is pointing out that the patience we have for the Lord's return is really a model that ought to be projected onto our own lives, our own situations, where we're waiting for the Lord and discerning His will in various situations in the here and now. As we wait for the Lord's coming in all things, we're to wait, we're to be patient until He comes. I suppose it's not surprising. Um, After all, Paul wrote to the Galatians that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that word patience, it's actually the same word that we had this morning, if you were with us in Romans 8, when we were told that if we have hope for something in the future, then we wait for it patiently with endurance. And that's the type of patience James is talking about here. Not just kind of, you know, self-control, not exploding at at the car driver in front of you, but no perseverance, endurance. I'm going to suggest that most of us probably know we should be a bit more patient. Maybe you find people of Ravenhill are more upright than I am, but I'm going to hazard a guess at that both from the perspective of of morally, how we treat other people, but also from a faith perspective. We know that the Bible tells us to be patient. So if we're to lead lives of obedience to Christ, then, well, it's pretty simple. We should be patient. And James this evening is, is going to take us a step further even than that. Because according to James, there's purpose in patience. There's purpose in patience. And James paints two pictures in the passage that we read of purpose in patience. And the first is this, that patience leads to fruitfulness. Patience leads to fruitfulness. And and we see this perfect picture of patience here. James says, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You see, if, if you watched a farmer plow his field and plant seed and came back about, I don't know, three months later or thereabouts, and if you were like me and didn't really know anything about farming, you'd probably think to yourself, that farmer's completely wasted his time. Nothing's happened. Nothing has happened at all. But the crop is going to come. There's no way to speed it up. You simply have to wait. The farmer plants the seed at the appointed time in the appointed conditions, and having done so, he waits because there's no other way to get a harvest. And the climate of the Middle East, which would have been familiar to the people James was writing to, was particularly unique. It's not like our climate at all. There was an early rain, sorry, early rain, and a late rain, and there still is. The early rain came in October and prepared the ground for the seed. You couldn't put the seed into the the dry ground after the summer. So after the early rain in October, the farmer would plant the seed and it would would undergo the first few stages of germination and just springing up a little bit. But it couldn't spring up too quickly or it would just wither. Then the late rain would come in March and April and that would swell the grain and guarantee a good crop. And I suppose this illustration that James uses of growth from a seed right through to a harvest is characteristic of this whole letter that he writes. But more importantly, it's characteristic of how we live our lives and how we grow in godly character. Because our faith will meet tests. Life will throw plenty at us. And with patience, we can grow into maturity of faith. Our life of faith is a process of growth, but it's going to take patience. That's crucial. 
Somebody has said that God's people don't just drift into holiness, and that's true. We won't quickly be able to implement all that we, all that we read in James's epistle, things like reading, avoiding gossip and being doers of the word and not just hearers of it. We have looked at those sporadically over the last number of months. But this whole process for the church of, of growth into holiness, just like every harvest, is a process and it takes its time. I suppose we need to realize that just like nothing we can do could hurry on the early or the late rain in the Middle East, we can't hurry on God. Again, um, I find it amazing. I wasn't meant to be preaching this this evening, but Peter was talking about that in the work here at Ravenhill. We might have liked to see it earlier or, or sooner, and many of the saints who prayed for growth here in Ravenhill have passed into glory before it has happened. But God's time is perfect. We can't hurry him on, and neither should we. Neither should we want to, because his ways are perfect. But if you're in the middle of a struggle this evening, maybe a, a time when your patience in God is really being tested, a real sense of the unknown, well, God's word this evening is a huge source of assurance to you because it's God, the creator, who germinates the seed, who, who gets it established. It's him who promotes the growth and it's him who swells the grain until when harvest time comes, the harvest is ready. It happens year by year in nature, this repeating and repeating and repeating cycle. It is also the case in terms of Christ's return. Um, that's the other example that James uses because it, it's sure and certain and God is tending to it and he's growing his church so that it's ready for it. And when the time comes, the harvest will be reaped. But it's also true of us in our own lives in the midst of struggles. It's an understatement to say this, but life can be pretty messy, can't it? But James says in verse 8 that Jesus will return, and because of that, we need to be patient and stand firm. We would much rather get to that point when we're just fruitful Christians already, where we know the answers, where we've grown in our faith, where, where things aren't so messy and painful and the growth is over. But these aren't the ways of God. Somebody, um, somebody else um, once said that we like to try and microwave our lives. You know, we, we just like to have things done. Again, Peter, I'm quoting you quite a lot this evening, but you know, instant society, we like to microwave things, ding, and it's done. We're out the other side and it's ready in no, in no time. But God's way is different. He likes to, to marinate us, if you want to continue that metaphor, so that we can just soak in the flavor. Then he puts us in the slow cooker. And at first, that might just seem like it's needlessly long and, and slow and lengthening the process. But food that has been marinated in flavors and, and slow cooked is so much better, so much nicer than microwave food, isn't it? It might be harder. It takes a lot more effort, but the effort is worth it. And I suppose if you're really in the depths of despair this evening, I realize it might be hard to see how God could possibly be growing you in these moments, how he might be increasing your faith. But take heart and cling to the promise of Scripture because it is a promise in Scripture that in the end, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. Being patient and standing firm in faith might not seem like the easiest option, but it is God's appointed way. 
to bring each one of us to a greater knowledge of him and depth of holiness. James then, uh, in verse 9, sends out his characteristic warning to us about the dangers of impatience with our lives. He says, don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. It's a great typical James sentence, that of warning. You see, impatience, well, that destroys fellowship. When we're living for God and when then the, growing, the going gets tough, it's so easy for us to round on our fellow Christians, to grumble about them and, and, and to, to complain about them. We grumble, we gossip, we slander. Perhaps as you think about this topic of, of patience this evening, maybe the situation where you need to be most patient is one right here in church. Maybe there's something here Again, Hazel talked about division, but maybe that has happened, or, or, or even if it's not visible, even if we don't know about it, there's resentment in your heart against somebody. The way a certain thing is done, that guy who somehow got through the college who you have to listen to week by week, maybe there's something that you are grumbling about. Is it something where you have to exercise more patience? I realize that that's a lot easier for me to say standing up here than it is for you to do. But James is crystal clear about this. If we don't cherish one another and the fellowship of the people of God where he has placed us, then it's just deadly. It's deadly for the church and it's deadly for our own growth. He says we will be judged for it. And as elsewhere in, in this little letter, James isn't saying that we'll lose our salvation, but he is saying that we can fall under God's fatherly displeasure that God will discipline us. So what is the purpose in being patient? Well, we've seen firstly that God is tending to us in our troubles. He's going to bring about a harvest. So there is fruitfulness in patience. It might be painful, but there is fruitfulness in patience and endurance. Well, then secondly, there is blessedness in patience. Blessedness in patience. James immediately points to the Old Testament and in verse 10 brothers, as an example of the patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed, literally says we consider happy, those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. You see, a faithful walk with the Lord Jesus it doesn't exempt us from suffering. It doesn't exempt us from the need to be patient. In fact, if the prophets are anything to go by, well, they were highly privileged, but that often involved a great deal of suffering. They weren't protected from the strains of life. They had to exercise more patience in more situations than most people. Jeremiah was hunted by the men of his town for speaking in the name of the Lord. Think of Daniel, he suffered deportation, but if he hadn't done so, we wouldn't have ever heard of him or the wonderful things that he did. Hosea's marriage broke down, and that itself was the Lord's word to and through him. All of these prophets saw God's purpose, fruitfulness, if you like, in their lives because of their suffering. But James also said that we consider blessed, we consider happy those who spoke in the name of the Lord. In each of these situations, God works to show his compassion and mercy in and through the suffering of people. 
The suffering, if you like, only, act, only acts to, to magnify the compassion and mercy of God. James also gives the example of Job, which is probably uh, the most extreme example he could have given. His life was completely destroyed by suffering that, that no one of us could imagine. But God is faithful, and Job is patient, no matter what his friends say. And Job waits for the Lord, and God blesses him richly. If you're following Jesus today, then you probably have seen this in your life because, well, our lives were once marred by sin, and this sin caused suffering in our lives. It still does. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that if you're here today and suffering, it's because of some particular sin that you've committed. That's not what I'm saying at all. But the ultimate source of suffering in this world, the reason why there is suffering in the world, that arises out of our separation from God because of the fall in Genesis 3. But despite the sin, despite our sin and, and the pain we have caused God, he demonstrated his immense compassion, mercy, and patience with us by not destroying us, which is what we deserve, but sending Jesus to redeem us. And the patience Jesus showed as he suffered all that he suffered and taking our sin when it would have been a lot easier not to do so, to turn back, to abort the mission, to call down 12 legions of angels to destroy those around him so that he could walk free. That patience to, the, to endure to the end, that's our model. I hope we'll never face anything quite like that. But just as Jesus knew the end goal, he knew the glory was in front of him. So do we. For the glory set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, so that we could be brought into God's family. And so as we look to his return, and as we rejoice in the victory of his death and his resurrection, we face our own struggles, knowing that in the end, we have victory in the world because of him. I mentioned earlier that uh, I wasn't meant to preach this sermon this evening. Um, Marty isn't feeling too well. But as I, as I hooked out a sermon that you haven't heard before, um, I, I realized that in the middle of it, I, I quoted Psalm 130. And that's the Psalm we read this morning. Listen again to those words as the author of Psalm 130, we don't know who it was, but as he waits patiently. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord, more than watchmen wait for the evening, more than watchmen wait for the evening. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. I said that wrong. It's more than watchmen wait for the morning, but you knew that. <laughs> this person, whoever they were, describes themselves calling to God out of the deep, out of the depths, out of stormy waters. And he says, I will wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. In his word, I put my hope. He knows that this waiting is worth it because through the Lord, he's going to receive full redemption. And if you're a Christian here today, then you can know that fullness of the purpose of the wait, because you've been redeemed in Christ. As we wait ourselves, we surely also hunger for the day when we'll see him face to face, and our pain of waiting will just pale into all insignificance in the light of his glory. Horatius Bonner, who's a, a hymn writer of days gone by, 
It says, faith takes up the cross. Love binds it to the soul. Patience bears it to the end. And this plays itself out in, in all kinds of everyday situations. James gives just one example um, at the end of our reading in verse 12 when he talks about swearing oaths. He says, above all, my brothers, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, or you will be condemned. Echoing words of Jesus there. But when we're patiently trusting Jesus as Lord of our lives, then clear, straight, and honest speaking will just be natural to us. To add oaths or those kinds of embellishments to what we're saying, it's impatient. It's trying to ram our message across. It, it, It suggests that the plain statement isn't enough for people to believe us. So we have to exaggerate. We have to swear by this or by that. But the one other time in the New Testament that we're told that somebody began to to curse and to swear was when Peter was insisting that he didn't know the Lord Jesus. That should give us pause for thought. But God's way is different. It's slower, yes. It's methodical. It's patient. It involves us living lives of integrity that match our beliefs so that people are drawn to us. And not us, but our Lord, the one who is the truth whether they know it or not, and whether they believe in Jesus or not, they will be drawn to his truth without a need to swear by this or that. So I ask you again where you're at this evening. What's going on in your life? Where is God calling you to show a bit of patience? Are you unhappy in your job? Are you going through a tough time in your family? Or are the pressures of life getting to you? Maybe the suggestion of being patient just seems like the most unhelpful suggestion anybody could make to you. I remember the one and only other time I preached this sermon, I went in the next day to a lady who just had a a knee replacement, and she was so impatient. She said, if I didn't have this knee replacement, I would get up and I'd hit you one. (laughs) Because I just want to get going again. You couldn't have preached a worse sermon to me. Not the worst feedback I've received after preaching, but not the best either. Well, let me encourage you this evening, if, if you're in those shoes, take a step back. Remember who you are. Remember your identity in Jesus. Remember that you're loved. Remember that you're redeemed. And remember that you can look forward to his return, a time when you'll be with him forever in the place where there is no more pain, no more knee replacements, no more suffering. I can't tell you this evening if you are suffering. I can't tell you how God is using that to grow you in faith as you move towards the day when there's a harvest. But I do know that he is. And and if you do nothing else this evening, cling to the hope that you have in Jesus, the one who is in control and the one who died to bring you to himself. In the book of Proverbs, it says that it's better to be patient than to be powerful. So know this today, as you wait on the Lord, he will draw near to you. He will bring you to himself. He will bear fruit in you, even if it's painful. And in the end, all things work together for the good of those that love the Lord. I hope that doesn't sound trite this evening. He is in control, even of our suffering. All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. 
thank you that even though it wasn't what we expected to be looking at this evening, it is what you wanted us to hear this evening because you're in control of all things. So, Lord, we pray that you would take your word and plant it in us and grow it, Lord, so that in due course you would reap a harvest in us. Lord, help us in the things that we struggle with. Help us in situations where we struggle to be patient, be it with physical pain or just our life circumstances. Lord, draw near to us. Give us your spirit so that we would see the ways that you're in work in us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.